Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Savick, and welcome to another edition of Paranormal Almanac. That's right. Uh, happy Halloween. It's Halloween weekend, folks. I hope you guys have been doing a lot of fun, like been doing a lot of fun Halloween stuff, going to Halloween parties, getting all Halloweened out and wearing costumes and stuff. I was going to wear a costume for this episode, and then I decided I've spent all day, literally all day. I started at 8 a.m., um, finalizing the outline for this episode. And then I had to run and do something, which I'll talk about in just a minute, uh, for about an hour and a half only though. And then the rest of the time has been getting this episode ready so I can do it for you. So I didn't dress up. Plus most people just listen to it as a podcast, wherever you get your podcast, paranormal almanac, wherever you get your podcasts. So it's only going to be for the few YouTube people that would see me in a costume. And so, you know, here I am, I am, uh, my costume is a slutty paranormal uh, podcast host. I don't know what makes me slut. It doesn't matter. Well, let's do some shout outs first. Let's get going right into this episode. It's a big episode. There's a lot to get to. So on this, on this edition, I forgot to say this part. On this edition, we're going to be talking about weird or unusual haunted locations. Is that what I decided it was? What did? Yeah. Unusual haunted locations. That works. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. Shout-outs going out to the patrons. Head on over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac. The patrons are what make this show happen. So if you're watching this on YouTube, definitely click like and subscribe and all that fun stuff at the bottom and make sure you leave a comment to let me know you're watching these because if no one's watching these, why am I doing them? But I think people are enjoying them. But the patrons are what make this show happen. They pay for this microphone, that little thing that makes all the noises, all that stuff, as well as the paranormal equipment that I use when I go out and do some paranormal investigations. So shout outs to Logan, Charles, Lori, Alec, Roger Funk, Kimberly, Adam, Karen, Ethan, Duran, James Loves Nikki, Lori, Alicia, Rebecca, and Stephen Share, Jane Ann, Jennifer, Heather G, your spooky neighborhood skinwalker, Zuzus, what's it? Nico Share and the Mouse, Mark and Tina, Tortuga, Mike from Jersey, Jay Bizzle, Andy, Tracy, hey howdy, hi, Virginian Mailman, Tony the Magician, Jason, Vicky Crow, Clay, Buzz, Tom, Libido Works, Glacier Maine, Isabel, Jen Jen, Stacy, Amber, Tracy, Kelly Joe, Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass Magic, Robot Webcomic, Sandy, Paige, Kausch. Bentman666, Andrew Scott, Andrea Melody, Vanessa Marisol, Liam Roger, Becca, Jake, Charlotte, and the Beasties. Hey, howdy, hi. Jen, Elizabeth, Sherry, Artmuth, and Tim, Kenneth, Ricky, Alexandra, George, Zozo the Demon. <laughs> Hayden, Cindy, Ashley, Carrie, Robin, Will, Lauren, Russell, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Paula, 
Jerry, Jeff T, Joe, Lawrence, the Lawrence Strawn. Hey, howdy, hi. I know you texted me. I've not had a chance to reply, but chances are, yes, you'll know what I'm talking about. Veronica Autumn, J. Mark Manning, Carolyn, Ryan loves Melina. Had to ask how to pronounce that one. Thank you, Ryan. Hopefully I said it right this time. Jade Nanashi, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Laura Pitts, and Gamer Fan. With two special shout-outs going out to Joe Teague and a Stitch. Um, he's my boy. I love him forever. Alrighty, let's get right on in to Paranormal News. Ghost demons that haunt the night. Strange objects fly through the sky. Shadow people are spending the night again. Black eyed children knock on my door. A portal to hell opens in my room. Time travel man says the world is changing soon. Don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. Hell yeah. I didn't know what to do on video during the paranormal news intro, so I just started pointing at random shit behind me. Uh, so yeah, if you're watching the video, there's a bunch of random shit behind me. Very, very cool stuff. Uh, the first story in paranormal news, I've got to actually pull up because I wasn't prepared. I was too busy pointing at shit. Uh, the first story in paranormal news, UFO skeptics. Skeptic of UFO craze criticizes prominent believers as driven by media attention, not science. It's really quite astonishing how easy it is to how easy it's been for the UFO people to sort of steer the public's belief in this subject. No, it hasn't. None of that makes any sense. It has not been easy for people that believe in UFOs. By the way, the government, US government said UFOs are real, but we'll forget that for a second. It has not been easy. People have been shouting it from the rooftop since the 40s. It has not been easy. But this idiot goes on to say. American writer and documentarian Brian Dunning said UFO believers are driven by media attention and sensationalism instead of science. Bullshit. Everybody that I know that talks about UFOs talks about science. How we need the science to prove the UFOs. So he doesn't know what he's talking about. Big shocker. But anyhow, he targeted a recent congressional hearing, which you all know about. I'm not going to get into it. He said they're UFO believers first and veterans second. Very easy to find UFO believers who are veterans. No, it's not. It says he hosts some stupid podcast. I'm not going to say it because he's an idiot. Um, But he goes on to say, you've got people in Congress who are not scientifically minded. We're not well-versed in subjects like astrobiology and astrophysics. And when they're told that, hey, there's some military pilots who have some UFO reports, they tend to take it very serious. Guess what? Reread what you just said very slowly. When there are military pilots, experienced pilots for the military that have seen what the military has to offer as far as technology is concerned, that know everything, and they say, I have to report a UFO. You should take that very serious. You should take that very seriously because the stigma 
and the dogma and, and the ridicule that comes along with it is what's stopping people from reporting UFOs, especially military personnel. Think before you speak, dumbass. Uh, he says, uh, once you start from that foundation, it's very easy to take the next step and say, we'd better interview these people and take it pretty seriously. Yeah, yeah, yes, you should. And he goes, that doesn't mean there's any factual or scientific foundation. Guess what? God bless America, this moron. I'm not even going to read the rest of this article because he's pissing me off. Hey, man, they had evidence to back that up. It's classified evidence that, guess what? You don't have the clearance to see that most people on the house at, that was at that house presentation about it didn't have the clearance to see. So, yes, you should be taking these things seriously. In fact, you should take them really serious when it's somebody like that. I swear, it's like arguing with freaking children. They don't want to hear anything. No, there's no UFOs. No. Stop it. Up next in paranormal news, technology surprise. Are China, Russia ahead of us in UFO retrieval and research? Kurt here, probably. Uh, last week, a former senior defense intelligence agency scientist became the 10th ex-government official, military officer, or scientist to allege or suggest publicly that the U.S. government has recovered at least one UFO. The overwhelmingly majority of these individuals also claim that the government transferred the vehicle, the retrieved vehicle to defense contractors for technical and scientific analysis. Again, something that's been said since the 40s, something that's been proven since the 70s. Separately, sources interviewed by investigative journalist Michael Schellenberger allege that defense contractors are studying a dozen or more recovered UFOs. All of Schellenberger's resources or sources claim that excessive secrecy is hindering a comprehensive understanding of the retrieved object's enigmatic technology. Moreover, an expanded network of sources told him that at least 30 whistleblowers familiar with these alleged UFO retrievals and analysis efforts have provided testimony to Congress. Again, scientific evidence. Hey, what's that last guy was saying? Nothing? Well, here's some scientific evidence right there. Um, yeah, that's about it for this one. We got a lot to get to. So you get the gist of that article. If you want to read more, um, it's on the Hill. Uh, you'll be able to find it just from that headline alone. That's why I always give you the headline. So if you want to read the whole article, just Google the headline that I just said. Like this next one. Mystery behind Pentagon UFO video appears to have been solved. Now, I have not watched this video because I like to watch them with you guys, and I have to throw it up on the other screen so you guys can see this, but I don't know how I'm going to do that. Uh, let's see. Okay. Um, I want this one. And then I want to do this. Whoa. What just happened? All right, that didn't work. Let me try it a different way. Oh, this is a good one. This is why I don't like doing stuff like this. Yeah, it's not working. Whatever, it's okay. It's okay. Head on over to the Facebook fan page, Paranormal Almanac fan page. I'll put the link there. I'm going to keep going so I can actually do a podcast instead of talking about nothing for a minute and a half. UFO fascination and theories have grown in the past year as the U.S. government has shared more and more information on what it calls unidentified anomalous... Whoa, what just happened there? Okay, go away. 
I don't know what's happening. It's freaking out. Um, in June, Pentagon officials, well, we already know that, uh, they did 800 reports of anomalous objects. But let's get to the Pentagon one. In fact, I'm sick of looking over there, so let's bring it back to here. The Pentagon has not been shy. Okay, great. The video subsequently posted widely online showed what appeared to be a silver-like object passing through the air. A statement from Arrow said the object was not displaying anomalous behavior. Without sufficient data, they don't know what it is. Is that seriously it? The whole article is just going to be they don't know what it is? Yeah, that is it. Lovely. Uh, So basically that really cool orb video that flew over, what was it? Um, Iraq, I believe. Anyhow, it doesn't matter. The really cool orb video, they don't know what it is. Guess what? They didn't know what it was a while ago. So why is that news? In fact, it's not. So I'm going to keep moving on. Boy, that was a waste. I'm sorry, everybody. Up next in paranormal news, Goldie Hawn recounts alien encounter. Oh my God, I think I made contact with outer space, she says. Obviously, or hopefully, you know who Goldie Hawn is, so I'm not going to go into that. But she says in the mid-60s, when she was 20, she was working as a dancer in Anaheim. That was a time, you know, when there was a lot of UFO sightings. I remember this so clearly. I went outside my door, and I sat on the little edge, and I looked up at the dark sky, and I saw all these stars. And all I could think of was, how far does this go? How little are we? Are we the only planet in the whole wide universe that has life on it? It was as Han was staring into the great unknown, she said, that uh, she knew she was not fated, that she was fated for an alien encounter. I said, I know you're out there. I know we're not alone. And I'd like to meet you one day. Months later, while working another dance job in West Covina, after a tiring rehearsal, she asked a friend if she could take a load off in his car, hopefully getting a nap in. After getting into the car to sleep, she said, I got this high-pitched sound in my ear. It was this high, high frequency. She was jolted awake. She was jolted awake by the sound. She opened her eyes to look out the window, and she said, I saw these two or three triangular-shaped heads. They were silver in color, slash for a mouth, tiny little nose, no ears. They were pointing at me, pointing at me in the car as if they were discussing me like I was a subject, and they were droning. She said that she felt like she couldn't move. Uh, She said a feeling not dissimilar from sleep paralysis. She said I was paralyzed, and I thought, oh, my God, I want to get up. I didn't know if it was real or not real. Eventually, she was able to shake free. So She said it was like bursting out of a force field. Of course, I go back to all the kids and stuff, and I went, Oh my God, I think I made contact with outer space. Years later, she spoke at an, spoke with an astrophysicist at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. He told her he'd been researching alien encounters for 25 years. She said that while trying to articulate her experience with the astrophysicist, her memory was vivid. They touched my face and it felt like the finger of God. It was the most benevolent, loving feeling. This was powerful. It was filled with light. Uh, that's very cool. And in case you didn't know, her husband, um, Kurt Russell, also had a UFO experience as well. I talked about that on a previous episode. So I guess go find that episode after you listen to this one. Up next in paranormal news, I didn't learn anything, Burchett said on classified UFO briefing. The classified briefing followed the public hearings. This is different from that one. He alleges the Pentagon is a secret UFO retrieval program and lawmakers expressed frustration over lack of answers. Um... He says that, um, well, he just said that he didn't find anything out. He doesn't think that the government's being transparent. Kurt here, no shit. Um, So, yeah, I'm going to move on to the next one because I agree with him, and that's pretty much all you need from that one. Up next in paranormal news, 
New analysis of 200-foot saucer-shaped object saucer-shaped object spotted over the Andes Mountains in 2010 finds it is a genuine UFO. They say we're getting closer to the truth, according to scientists. Uh, scientists have reanalyzed an image showing a saucer-shaped object over Chile. It shows an orange blob hanging in reddish clouds during the day in 2010. A giant UFO appeared over Chile in 2010. It has been described as a genuine, unidentified UFO, or UAP. The National Aviation Reporting Center on Anomalous Phenomena, NARCAP, investigated the sighting the same years, the same year it happened, but scientists are reopening the case as part of a new documentary that attempts to prove or debunk the strange phenomena. An expert in physics from the University of Albany says this object is truly un unidentified, so it's a genuine UFO. Very cool. What's next in paranormal news? Oh, this next one. This next one is an email from one of my favorite humans on the planet, Owen O'Fadigan. That's right, Owen. The man that has spotted Nessie more than anybody. Owen O'Fadigan. He emailed me. He said, hi, Kurt. I captured a new sighting of Nessie. It's head, neck, and possibly tail rising out of the water briefly at 18.54 p.m. dark on the 17th of October on the VILN Shoreland Lodges webcam. I've inserted a clip and a computer enhancement of a screenshot I took. The enhancement shows what, what could be a tail of the creature sticking up out of the water to the left of the neck. The neck then arches to the left and is gone. It happened about 150 feet out from the shoreline and rose about three feet out of the air. It's been reported in the British Daily Express this morning. Hope you're well, Kurt, and doing what you do best. No, no. Owen, I hope you're well and doing what you do best because you are the best. If you want to see... What he posted, you can go to his own YouTube page. I'll put the link in the Facebook fan page or maybe down below if I can figure out how to do that on the YouTube channel. Uh, but he's got his own YouTube channel. You can see it there. You can head on over to the Facebook fan page for Paranormal Almanac. I'll put it there as well. It's just awesome to hear from him. He is the best. I hope he's listening to this right now and knowing how awesome I think he is and the work that he does is just brilliant. Uh, but let's keep going. We got a lot to get to. Up next in Paranormal News... So you've bought a haunted house. Now what? Uh, it says, don't try to remove the ghost yourself. Hire a team of professionals to do it. Don't start family or do start family therapy because haunted houses bring out the worst in everyone. Sure, that makes sense. Don't have a party. Kurt here. I disagree with that. Have a party. Have some fun. Do buy your children new toys because the ghosts are going to take them. Why? Why is that one? Buy them whatever they want as long as it comes from a store. A bored child is going to go looking for something new to play with, searching through dusty attics and forgotten closets. And the second they pick up that old porcelain face doll or some hideously carved wooden doll, it's only a matter of time before they begin levitating in the backyard. Sure, why not? Don't have sex with a ghost. Kurt here. You're an adult. Figure it out. If you want to have sex with a ghost, have sex with a ghost. Do listen to the ghosts. Kurt here. To a certain degree. If it starts saying like, kill your family, don't listen to that. Um, oh, and that's the last one. Yep, all great advice. I don't agree with half of it. Up next in paranormal news, let's keep this train a moving. I don't have a train sound effect, or I would have pushed that right then. Is Kate Middleton and Prince Wi Prince William's country home haunted? Before the Prince and Princess of Wales moved into Amner An Anmer Hall over a decade ago, they were apparently warned about a ghost. Let's see. 
Richard Felix, who is a paranormal historian. That's a good title. That's a good title to have on a business card. He said, when the Prince of Wales and Princess of Wales moved into Anmer Hall, stupid name, it's more or less on the Sandringham estate. There was a ghost there of a Catholic priest that lived there and and was hanged, drawn, and quartered for high treason, and for some reason has returned to his home. Although he was executed in York, they've actually heard his voice, and they've seen the ghost of what they say is a priest wandering around that hall that I'm not going to say anymore. Uh, Let's see. The priest that Felix is referring to is likely Henry Walpole, a Jesuit priest who was executed at York in 1595. Uh, Felix continued, before the Waleses moved in, is that what they're called? The Waleses? Wouldn't it just be the Wales moved in? They were warned about the ghost, and the comment was, I presume it was from Prince William's, said no old hall would be complete without a ghost, would it? I like that. Good on them. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of a ghost. Do have sex with the ghost, Prince William. Don't buy the ghost new toys because it's just going to confuse them. The ghost's not going to know what a PS5 is. Uh, up next in paranormal news, and actually last in paranormal news, Patrick Stewart sold haunted Los Angeles home without revealing ghosts. Come on, Patrick Stewart. Let's see. Um, In Patrick Stewart's book, uh, Making It So, a memoir, released uh, this month from some company that I don't care about, uh, he said he shares his paranormal experience, including recurring spirited moments that freaked him out of his Los Angeles home. I've been witnessing stuff since I was 12 years old and it has stayed with me throughout my entire life. I have sometimes quite intense feelings and nighttime experiences, and occasionally I witness things. It happens to me, and I'm not inventing it. Why would I invent it? Because I always feel slightly foolish when I talk about this. The spooky experience experience started during his youth in Yorkshire, when Stuart would stay at the home of his influential first drama teacher, Ruth Wynne Owen. Uh, Two striking paintings featuring 17th century women in the home appeared to young Stuart to be covered in an unexplainable mist especially the guest room painting, which put off a spooky glow in the dark hours. This scared me fundamentally, he says. Um, He would dive under the covers and stay there until the morning. Eventually, uh, he told that that woman, who explained the spirits had followed her family into the house. A girl often appeared at night and always smiled before disappearing, she told him, impressed that Stuart was one of the few who have noticed otherworldly paintings. She was curious to know if I had experienced other phenomena of this nature, but I hadn't yet... Let's see. Stuart had alone time before the funeral with his mother in an open casket. Just before my eyes fixed on her face, I heard her say, oh, hello, Patrick, love. I know I heard it. I did not imagine it. Stuart kissed her on her cheek, told her I loved her, and bid ma'am farewell. Oh, that's sad. Um, he said that, uh, let's see. The mysterious moments got stranger for him after he... After the second season is Picard, Stewart bought his home in the Los Angeles Silver Lake neighborhood where things weird things started happening. Returning home from work on the Paramount lot one evening, his nostrils were overpowered by a roasting smell. After a swift, swift kitchen investigation, the stove was not even turned on and the oven was cold and empty. He said things got worse. Stewart's son, Daniel, who resided in England, was freaked out by a stranger occurrence that stopped him from ever staying the night overnight again at his father's residence. When I asked him what was wrong, he had... He led me down into the living room, where the floor was scattered with books that had obviously come from the shelves lining the walls. Dan told me he'd been watching TV when the book suddenly flew across the room as if thrown with great force. The incident scared him so badly, he left the house and returned only when he knew I would soon be home. 
That's when sinister sounds started, really started. Voices, footsteps on empty staircases, not to mention temperatures dropping to icy levels each night as Stuart neared the same stair step. I had an urge to look over my shoulder, but I never dared. Uh, he rented the, home, the haunted home, and things turned weirder. He said uh, when he moved to a modern Beverly Hills abode, abode I moved out like a, like a shot, and I immediately felt much safer in my new home. A few months later, the, the mother of the tenant family called with washer and dryer problems. After the pleasant chat, she said, By the way, you never told us about the other things that came with this house. Stuart fessed up about his paranormal experience. The tenant said her daughter had seen more, including a shadowy male figure standing in the hall at the foot of the stairs. Stuart was impressed with the family's courage and relieved he wasn't losing, losing his mind. In a way, that was a comfort that their family saw things, and they saw more than I saw. In his final call to the renter, the woman said she sorted the pesky poltergeist problem. That's a, that's a word thing. A pesky poltergeist problem. Awoken from a nap by the chronic disembodied voices, she unleashed her fury, walking to the stairs and screaming for the spirits to leave us in peace with a key added expletive. This, the disturbances stopped right then. Uh, let's see. To my relief, I never heard anything from the buyers when he actually sold it afterwards. Um, he did, however, unexpectedly run into the couple who had sold him the haunted house without warning. When I went over to greet them, they were clearly uncomfortable and beat a retreat for me almost immediately. I got the distinct impression they had something to hide. That's cool. So, Patrick Stewart, whole lots of ghosts. And, you know, I, could you blame him? I want to hang out with Patrick Stewart, ghost or not. All righty. It's a quick merch plug. Head on over to tpublic.com slash stores slash paranormal dash almanac. I know it's terrible. I can't do anything about it. tpublic.com slash stores slash paranormal dash almanac for all your paranormal almanac needs. Shirts, hats, maybe, I don't know, uh, buttons, uh, stickers, hoodies, baseball shirts. I mean, there's lots of stuff. Just go and check it out. And lots of styles. Hopefully you guys like them. I'm going to make some more new styles, so make sure you check. Alrighty, with that, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. For you guys, it won't, it would be like this. Watch, listen. And we are back. See how quick that was? That was nothing to worry about. That's right, we're back. And on this edition, I wanted to continue the Halloween haunted spoopy stuff, uh, but I didn't want to talk about the about the usual haunted locations. You know, like Every former insane asylum is haunted, although there is technically one on here, but that doesn't count. Every theater is haunted. Every hotel is haunted. Every place the Scooby-Doo gang went to was haunted. But what about weirder, more unusual haunted locations? Hmm? What about those? Huh? Well, well all right. Calm down. Um, I figured let's take a look at those. And um, I'll be honest. Once I really started looking for this episode for unusual haunted locations, I found this one particular unusual place for the paranormal more and more and more and more. You'll see in a second. Don't worry. It'll come it'll become apparent real quick by the second story. But the first story. Oh actually no, you'll hear it from the first story cuz the first one on this list, I forgot I bumped him around. You'll it'll become apparent from this one. The first haunted location on this edition is the Savannah Hilton Head International Airport. That's right. 
Atlanta, Georgia, USA. If you've ever flown in to Atlanta, chances are you've flown in to the Savannah Hilton Head International Airport. But why is it haunted? This one actually has a good reason. Uh, first of all, let's get to the hauntings. Pilots and airport staff have had all sorts of paranormal activity here. A lot of eyewitnesses say that if you land shortly after sundown, two figures will appear along the north side of the runway. And like I said, there might be, there is, a very good reason that this happens because this is where this story gets weird. All right, let's go back to the 40s or 30s. I don't know. We'll go back in time to when they were building and planning this airport, planning to build this airport. During World War II, the United States military owned most of the land the airport is now on uh, because of increased need to build more aircraft. They needed to expand the land, expand their land, but they didn't own the nearby land. So the U.S. government first leased 1,100 acres of land, really expanded the airport, and but then they needed to expand it again. And this is when they ran into a problem because one of the pieces of land had been used as a private family cemetery. A cemetery which contained more than 100 graves. All right, you guys can cue the Poltergeist soundtrack because, as you know, you never want to build on what was once a cemetery. Nothing good ever happens there. Don't build on Native American land or burial grounds. Native American burial grounds. There's All of this is Native American land. Don't build on Native American burial grounds and don't build on former cemeteries. But they did. And even though they negotiated with the Dotsons who own the land and they relocated most of the graves, Kurt here, anytime a sentence starts with they moved most of the graves, you know the rest is going to be about being haunted. Um, so his name was, or their names were Houston and John Dotson. So yeah, since it's illegal in America to transfer buried remains without the consent of next of kin, they said, yeah, you can have this land, but you can't remove four or six graves, technically. They removed they moved 100 graves, including some of those were slaves. Terrible, terrible. But the family said that six graves would not and could not be moved. The original owners of the land, Richard and Catherine Dotson, along with two of their beloved relatives, Daniel Houston. Oh, and Daniel Houston and John Dotson were the other four. So there's a total of six graves. Two of them, the main ones, Richard and Catherine, four other relatives. There we go. I'm caught up on my notes. My notes got a little wonky. Anyhow. Uh, like I said, they couldn't just, you know, do it without the consent of the kin. So the airport said, well, we really need this land. How about this? And they simply paved over two of the graves, that being Richard and Catherine Dotson. These two are the main ones that are on a runway. And it's actually easy to spot from like Google Maps. You can even look up this airport and put graves and you'll see photos of them. It's very easy to spot. Um, in fact, people have said when they're flying in or out of the airport, if you see lighter cement rectangles, two of them out on the runway, yeah, those are the Datsun graves. They're right there on the runway, headstones laying flat, right there. Planes fly over graves, roll over graves, really, all the time at the Savannah Airport. 
and the other four, those are in the brush next to that runway. So when you spot those two, the other four graves are in the brush, but not on the runways themselves. You can actually, like I said, you can see a photo of the actual graves if you go to the Savannah Hilton Head Airport website. They don't even try to hide it. It's freaking creepy to know that I've flown into that airport and I've probably was in a plane rolling over a grave, two graves, and I had no idea. Creepy, right? All righty, up next is a haunted Ralph's. And that's a haunted cemetery, or haunted, not cemetery, haunted grocery store, for those who don't know what I'm talking about and just think I'm, you know, why is Kurt talking about some guy named Ralph that he's haunted? No, I'm talking about a haunted grocery store. They're called Ralph's in California, Kroger's in the rest of the country. Um, It's a grocery store. It's all you need to know. All right, this particular Ralph's grocery store is located in La Crescenta, California. And get this. I just went there. That's right. When I was doing this outline, getting it all prepared this morning, I figured, well, I do need to get some groceries today. Sure, I could drive five minutes to the Burbank Ralph's. That's not haunted as far as I know and get my groceries. Or I can actually make a trip out to the La Crescenta Ralph's. I don't know. It's like 30 minutes away. So I stopped the outline right there. I drove over to the haunted Ralph's. I did a quick portable paranormal investigation video and I even did the paranormal, the portable paranormal investigation as I grocery shopped right there in the cart. I laid them side by side and I just, you know, wheeled my cart along. Did I see a ghost? I mean, maybe there are a lot of dead eyed looking uh, people in the, in the aisles. So any one of them could have been a ghost. I don't know, but I don't think I did, but that's not the main question. The main question is, Why is this Ralph's haunted? I'll get to what they see in a minute, but why is this Ralph's haunted? Well, it's a very, very good reason. And for that, we have to go back to 1925, when the land the Ralph sits on now was the site of the Kimball Sanitarium. Kimball Sanitarium. I don't know why I said Kimball. It's Kimball. Kimball Sanitarium. It was an insane asylum, basically, that ran from the mid-20s until about 1960. The Kimball family purchased an old Victorian home on a very large parcel of land at Foothill, Foothill Boulevard and Raymond Avenue. Then they figured, you know, this is a nice area. Why don't we bring a bunch of insane, criminally insane people onto this land? Because that's a good idea. So they built several cottages and they set up the asylum. Now, the cottages were for the calmer, less crazy people, but there was a cement blockhouse for the violent ones. And it had all the typical stuff, had padded cells and wall-mounted restraints. You know, like basically everything that you think of when you picture a messed up asylum that's obviously going to make a bunch of haunted ghosts or make a bunch of ghosts. Um, This place had it, I'm telling you. Uh, Bella Lugosi, he received treatment for morphine addiction there. And uh, film star Francis Farmer spent nine horrendous months there receiving daily brutal insulin shock therapy. Yeah, it was terrible is what it was. Um, It was torturous. Basically, they tortured her every day for nine months. Now, if you go to the Ralphs, you want to get out there and go to the Ralphs, the main house would have been towards the rear of the Ralphs, and the block house would have been right about where the store's bakery is today. 
I went to both sections. Uh, honestly, I went to both sections, and the only thing I felt was hunger because I hadn't eaten lunch yet, and I was like, this is a bad time to go grocery shopping, but, you know, a good time to go paranormal grocery shopping. Uh, all right, so what's seen there? Well, former employees, mostly the night, sh night shift crew, uh, they claim that all of the paranormal basics, I'm talking scratching in empty aisles at night. So they'll be like walking up an aisle, like restocking, they'll scratching and they'll run over to that aisle and there's nothing there. Then they'll hear scratching from the next aisle. They'll run over and there's nothing there. They say that freezer doors open and close on their own. Storage room doors swing open. Lockers open and slam shut on their own, obviously. And uh, hearing someone, someone whispering in their ears as they work. So I thought, all right, I'll give that a try. So while I was grocery shopping, every now and then I would whisper in an employee's ear as I shopped, you know, just to make them, you know, feel at home. They didn't seem to like that. Uh, besides the basics, though, there's the ghost of a woman that's seen here. Now, she's described as a blonde woman, sometimes wearing a long white, possibly wedding dress. I don't know about that, though. It really seems like it's just a, a long white gown. And people just see a white dress and go, she's wearing a wedding dress. Um... A couple of times that she was spotted, a very brave employee actually followed her, saying that she walked down an aisle to the back of the store, then ascended a staircase into the back room. In both reports, the woman disappeared when she reached the top of the stairs. Uh, the woman has also been seen in the back rooms by other employees, and depending where you get your info, a few sites say that one woman employee reported that for 10 years she had regular conversations with a ghostly woman. But grain of salt that. Uh, I don't know if that's actually true. It seems kind of shady. Uh, many people think this might be the ghost of actress Frances Farmer. Now, again, Frances Farmer did unfortunately have a horrific time at the Kimball Sanitarium, but she did go on to, you know, leave the sanitarium. So it could just be any blonde woman from that time period. Like I said, um... She finally left the sanitarium later in life. She was committed, unfortunately, to another mental hospital in the state of Washington, where, according to her autobiography, horrifically, they didn't treat her any better. She was raped and brutalized at that one as well, which unfortunately was a very common thing at these asylums back in the day, horrifically as it seems. Um, let's continue on with the, the Ralphs, though. There's also a male ghost that's also seen sometimes, but not as often as the woman ghost. Here's the grain of story uh, on this one, a grain of salt story on this one. Again, I'm not really buying it. But it says, Night workers were sweeping the floor in the floral section. They said they were backing up as they, were, as they worked, but bumped into someone. When they turned around, they were confronted by a man with no face. I don't know. I, I tried to look into this more. It just seems to be regurgitated again and again and again online. There's no names. There's no dates. There's no details at all. It's just that story plugged in again and again and again. But there you have it. I figured, you know, it's Halloween time, so I'll include it on this episode. But if you're in Southern California and you want to shop for food on the former site of an asylum, that Ralph's is the place for you. Once again, it's the Ralph's in La Crescenta. It's on uh, Foothill Boulevard. It's very easy to find. It's like Foothill just west, I believe, of Raymond Avenue. Raymond Avenue. Alrighty, next up. Let's go back to another airport. See? There's the pattern. There's a lot of haunted airports. It's really freaking weird. 
It's the Daniel K. Inu, I know I said that wrong, International Airport in Honolulu, Hawaii. Now, it's supposedly haunted by the lady-in-waiting, which will make sense in a second. People at the airport have seen her standing at the gate at night, peering out at the runway. They see a blonde wearing a white dress. Hey, maybe it's Frances Farmer. She's waiting for her flight back to La Crescenta Ralph's. That's why they don't see her all the time, because she's like, oh, I just wanted to go to Hawaii for a little bit. And then she gets stuck there, and she's like, nah, damn it, now I got to wait for a plane. I don't know. Um, Totally made-up urban legend time says, this lady-in-waiting is said to have had Fallen for a man who pledged to marry her. He took her to the airport, but then booked a flight for somewhere else instead and just dumped her at the airport. Okay. Um, it gets worse in a second, but why would you, if you were, if you're planning on not flying with her or backing out, why would you buy her a plane ticket? Why don't you just say, I'll be right back, honey, and just leave. Anyhow, uh, distraught with grief. She killed herself, but she still waits his return. Hey, guess what? He's not coming back, and he seems to have ditched you. So, I don't know. Move on. Uh, continuing with the, I have so many questions about this airport. Other claims are that toilet paper rolls unravel on their own. Toilet seats that slam down. And a ghost who sits on people's chest to make them feel like they're choking. Called the choking ghost. Okay. Got to come up with better names. So, the ghost of a lady who's waiting, you call her... The lady in waiting, the ghost of a thing guy that sits on people's chest, you call the choking ghost. You can do better. Look, I get it. I've slept in airports, uh, but I've never laid down and went to sleep deep enough for a sleep demon to sit on my chest in public. Come on, people. Save that for the comfort of your own home. Uh, yeah, some travelers said they've even noticed a ghostly passenger appearing in the backseat of the airport shuttle in the middle of the night, only to disappear. Uh, I gotta say, what a shitty thing to do to, you know, to do in life to have to spend eternity at an airport. Going to an airport to fly while I'm alive seems like an eternity and is one of the worst places ever. So I can't imagine being a ghost and having to do it forever. But let's keep going. Ray Duropan, a police officer who served 17 years at the Honolulu Police Department, was assigned to the airport for two years in the 90s. He reported to local media that he would receive numerous calls about a blonde lady at a gate looking out the window of the runway at the runway as though waiting for an arrival. He would also take calls from people telling him that the lady in waiting can also be seen in restricted areas of the airport, looking like she is waiting in agony. Yeah. Airports suck. Everybody that's at an airport is waiting in agony. Alrighty, up next, let's move to another one that I've never done before, a haunted aquarium. Is it haunted by ghost fish? Give me a second and I'll tell you the stories. Hold on. All right, for this one, we go to the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Before it was an aquarium, it was the site of the Havden Cannery. Kurt here, I assume there weren't as many uh, fish or aquariums when it was the Hovden Cannery, but, you know, what do I know? Uh, so what happens here? Well, how about this? Early one morning, emotion alarms sent aquarium security officers to the area housing their vault. They found the vault door open, but nobody inside or in the adjacent area. When officers reviewed the surveillance video, 
they were surprised to see the door had opened itself. There's a camera inside the vault that's activated by motion at night. And during this incident, the camera started recording at the same time the outer door opened, but again, no one was there. One security guard uh, said, uh, what did one security guard say? I don't know. Oh, one security guard said, ah, here we go, that this is this uh, area is part of the original cannery and one of the oldest sections of the building. So some security officers think that the vault door was opened by the ghosts of the old Hoven cannery, uh, like the workers there that was, play, you know, just like playing a trick, or possibly by a fish trying to steal some sand dollars. I, I apologize for that lame dad joke. Let's keep going. Graveyard shift security guards reported all the paranormal basics around here. Sounds, stuff moving, voices, but also the appearance and sudden disappearance of a woman in a black gown who was seen in the open sea wing. Uh, monitors inside the security office, like, like they're, they can see her in the monitors, and then one security guard who's down there can see her. So when they try to like go and catch her on the, on the camera, it's, it's called the anchovy roundabout. Uh, but when they try to go to the exhibit to try and catch her, they check the area. There's nobody there. One officer's encounter was too close, he said. Walking through the Ocean Traveler's Gallery adjacent to the open sea exhibit, he passed a woman in a black gown sitting on a bench only a few feet away. She nodded. He said hello and kept walking. He stopped abruptly, abruptly a few seconds later thinking, hold on a second. He turns around and yeah, the woman had vanished. Look, just think if this was a ghost fish instead of a woman. Then they could have said that the ghost fish vanished into thin air. <laughs> thin air. No? All right. Seriously, I hate myself more than you hate me right now. So let's just keep going on. Here are a couple more stories from the Monterey Bay Aquarium site itself. Security manager Kevin Wright typically flips his keys over his fingers as he walks, he says, making a jingling sound that lets others know he's nearby, especially during his rounds on graveyard shifts. Late one night, flipping his keys as usual, he crossed the bridge between the ocean's edge and the open sea wings. After just entering the open sea galleries, he heard the bridge creak and instinctively turned to see what was coming, who was coming across. Nobody. Puzzled, he stopped flipping his keys and could hear someone and their keys jingling behind him. He slows down and says, how's it going? No answer, but the sound of the keys jingling stops. So he turns on his flashlight and, of course, not surprising to anybody, nobody was there. So he keeps walking towards the exhibit, once again flipping his keys, that guy's too casual. He rounds a corner again. Here's keys jingling behind him, but much closer this time. So he spun around. Nobody there. So he backtracks to the to the bridge, thinking someone's messing with them. And he says there was nobody on that floor. He called the security office to ask where the night crew was, only to be told that everybody was gone for the night. At this point, he was quite or slightly creeped out. He went back to the office. Uh, he crosses back over the bridge. It creaks right behind him. He spun around. Nothing. But this time, a draft brushed past his arm. 
And he said he kept for his flashlight. He kept his flashlight on for the remainder of his rounds. Yeah, well, of course you would, dude. That's creepy as all hell. Um, they said that um, the silhouette made him think it was another security officer on duty. He thought it was a big and tall man named Essex with a very distinctive walk. Kevin watched as the figure walked to the sardine roundabout and lay down on the carpet below. So Kevin shouts, uh, exit, why are you, Essex, why are you taking a nap right there from about 15 feet behind Kevin? Essex replies, what are you talking about? He spins around. Yep. Essex was walking up behind him, not sleeping down below. When he turns back towards the open sea wing, person had disappeared. Uh, he uh, called the control room again to ask if anybody was doing rounds, but is told that uh, the person had already left for the night. Uh, he shared what happened to him with Essex. And uh, he said that Essex laughed out loud, said, you're on your own. I'm not going over there until the lights come on. And he walked back to the security office. That guy is a smart man. One night's uh, senior public program specialist, Kristen Mole, was helping set up a sleepover event and sharing stories with their teen volunteers. The discussion came around to the nearby boilers and the rumors of ghosts going on at the aquarium. She assured everyone that they're very well behaved for all the years she's worked at the aquarium. Later that evening, she noticed the huge metal door to one of the boilers was actually open. She swears she can't remember that ever seen that door open before, but she rationalized to herself that it had probably been open all along. She only just noticed it. A few days later, she was working at another sleepover. It was already nighttime, and um, she had talked to the security staff near the boiler exhibit. She glances up and notices that the same boiler door was slightly ajar. She told security her previous stories and her theory that the door had probably been open all along, but the security guard said, boiler doors aren't kept open for any reason and definitely not opened and closed regularly. By 10 p.m., she was making sure that everyone was settling in for the night. She walked by the boilers on her way out and was shocked to see the same boiler door was open and open wider than before. Uh, so she asked security if someone had climbed up to open the door. The door is a joke on her. The officer assured her it's neither easy nor safe to open the doors and that no one would be allowed to climb on the historic structures to play pranks on other staff. Hold on one second. Come up here, rum. That's right. It's rum time. Hi, sweetheart. Yes, I know. I love you too. Rum's making an appearance on video. So take this, jot down the time if you really want to see rum on video and Frankly, you should, because she's the best. Um, let's see. She, again, saw something else when she was setting out decorations for the Halloween dance party for members and stopped when out of the corner of her eye, she saw a person standing on the narrow second-story landing of a boiler where no one is allowed or has access. When she turned around fully, the person had vanished. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, it happened to her again. Someone, she thought she saw somebody, turned around, that person was gone. Once she caught a glimpse of a man's hand resting on the desk that moved closer and closer until she saw not only the hand, but also an upper arm up to the elbow inside a plain, I'm sorry, a yellow plaid shirt. The vision disappeared instantly when she turned around. Uh, one day when she had had enough and out loud, asked her ghostly guest to stop pestering her. The number of encounters dropped after that, but she said she always catches one glimpse of, quote, the man in the yellow plaid shirt every time she worked at that desk. Another officer had unforget an unforgettable experience on foggy nights many years ago when the entrance was gated. He said he saw large wet footprints would appear out of nowhere on the sidewalk outside the entrance. The footprints would always travel from the sidewalk underneath the locked gate before disappearing. 
Another officer heard the laughter of children as if they were running and playing outside, but it was the middle of the night and in the basement. That's creepy. Said there are definitely wandering souls around here in the midnight hour. Yeah. Um, if you want to go to a haunted aquarium, that's the aquarium to go to, the Monterey Bay Aquarium. But since this aquarium seems kind of fishy, <laughs> let's go to the next one on this list. I'm not even sorry for that one. Go ahead. I love you. Good girl. We go to the Chicago O'Hare International Airport. Yep, another airport. See, more and more. Every time I looked, I found a pattern. All right, for this one, we go back to May 25th, 1979, when American Airlines Flight 191, there's a bug in here, uh, a DC-10 plane crashed less than a mile from the end of the runway, killing all the passengers and crew on board, sadly. Um, Soon after, residents of a nearby trailer park at the end of the runway claimed that the ghosts came to their doors looking for missing luggage. That's creepy. You know, it's bad enough if you have to live in a trailer park at the end of a runway, but then you got to deal with ghosts as well. Um, They also reported white lights moving around the site following the crash, knocks at their doors and windows when no one was there, and the sounds of moaning and crying from the crash site. Others have reported ghostly operations in the field where Flight 191 crashed. And then when they had the police go and investigate, thinking maybe someone's trying to find like wreckage or, you know, jewelry or something, they'd go out there and nobody would be out there. Here is a huge grain of salt story from that area. One sighting was described by a man out walking his dog one late one night near the area where Flight 191 went down. He was approached by a young man who explained that he needed to make an emergency telephone call. The man with the dog looked at this person curiously for he seemed to reek of gasoline and also appeared to be smoldering. Come on up. Good girl. Kurt here, if uh, someone ever comes up to you saying they need to... (laughs) Thank you, Rum. I love you too. They need to make an emergency phone call and they, they reek of gasoline and appear to be smoldering? You got yourself a ghost. Uh, at first, you just assumed the man had been running. No, that's not what running people do or they don't smolder. Uh, but when he turned away to point out a nearby phone and then turned back again, yeah, the guy had vanished. The man with the dog had heard stories from other local residents about moans and weird cries from the 79 crash site, but he never believed them until he saw that. He is now convinced he had an encounter with... Yeah, you did. You had an encounter with a ghost. You you really did. All righty. Let's move on to the... Um, Let's see. Where are we going to move on to? Mm, yeah, let's go to this one. I got to skip ahead because I didn't realize how, how late it is and or how long this episode's going for. We already hit an hour and I gotta, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Let's go to the Rhode Island, go to Rhode Island to the Valley Inn restaurant. And for this one, we go way back to February 8th, 1673. The restaurant that is now there was another restaurant and then other restaurants. And then other buildings and other buildings until we get to 1673 when it was a farmhouse. A farmhouse owned by the Cornells. And it was here that historical records say, and that's important to me because how would they know this? But anyhow, it's supposedly written down historically that Rebecca Cornell declined a supper of mackerel with her grown son, Thomas Cornell, and his family, saying, quote, the fish made her sick. 
So when they finally finished eating, one of her sons was sent up to check on her because she went up to her room. She's like, yeah, that, that mackerel's making me sick. And so she goes up to her bedroom. They finish eating. One of her sons is like, I should go check on mom. She usually eats a lot of mackerel. Um, but they, uh, they said something was amiss, so he ran back to get his father to check with him. Uh, they found Rebecca burnt to death. That's right. It's spontaneous combustion time. At first, the death was ruled an accident. Probably she had fallen asleep with some ash from her pipe falling on her, sending her up in flames. But then her brother John said that Rebecca's ghost actually visited him in the night to tell him that she had been murdered. So he goes to court and says, hey, I think she's been murdered. And he testifies like, I'm telling you, she came to me as a ghost and she said she was murdered. And so the court... And uh, several neighbors, they deliver testimony that uh, Thomas is not the most um, honest-looking person. He seems to be kind of a criminal and that he might have murdered her. So the coroner re-examines Rebecca, and yep, they found an odd wound on her stomach. He's found guilty. That sucks. If If he was innocent, that really sucks. But he's found guilty, and he's sentenced to be hanged. I'm telling you, that took a turn. Uh, It gets crazier, though, because his wife was pregnant with their last child at the time. And since Thomas was hanged, she's like, no, Thomas was innocent. So she names the baby Innocent. Little baby girl Innocent uh, gets weirder here. She grows up and she marries into the Borden family and is the great, 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 great grandmother of Lizzie Borden. Bet you didn't see that one coming. Uh, Anyhow, Rebecca is still said to haunt the restaurant. Um, So I guess if you are in Rhode Island and you go to the Valley Inn restaurant, is that what it's called? Yeah. If you're in Rhode Island, you go to the Valley Inn restaurant, maybe don't order the smoked mackerel. (laughs) That's right. Ghost burn. Literally. That's puns on top of puns, people. I'm on fire today. Ooh. Too soon, Rebecca. Come on. Come on. That's, you're getting what you paid for with this podcast. Unless you're a patron, and then you're not getting as much as you're paid for. Uh, But still, thank you for paying. All right, I think that does it for the spontaneous combustion jokes. Let's move on to, for these next two, I'm going to put them back to back. The first one is the Chandler Airport in Fresno, Fresno, California. It's a real quick one. There have been reports of people walking through the terminal walls, Others have witnessed an elderly elderly man in the control tower when no one was up there. Strange noises have been heard in the airport's restaurant, and also staff in the restaurant have saw a a plate travel across the counter and fall onto the floor. They did, Rum. They saw that. I love you, too. All of the basics have been seen in here. Thank you. Seen and heard here, too. So uh, uh, let's go on to this next quick one. The Islamabad Airport in Islamabad, Pakistan. I love you, Rum. It opened in 2018, but the construction started in 2007 and it's said that the reason it took so long to build is because of all the ghost activity. But it's all the basic ghost activity. Yes, I love you too. So uh, let's move on to this next one. I need both hands for this next one, Rum. Uh, This next one is an older paranormal news story. So hold on. I love you too. Thank you, Rum. Um... She really wants to be part of this episode tonight. It is definitely video worthy if you like rum and like dogs. And if you don't, what's wrong with you? Uh, This next one is from 2013, August 23rd, 2013. 
Creepy occurrences in antique stores have owners wondering about ghosts. That's right. Laura Cheek opened her door to the shop and then immediately froze. Before locking up the night before, the antique store co-owner had walked the entire building cleaning and shutting off lights. But on this morning, a half dozen toys stood in a circle in the shop's foyer and an open book lay nearby. That's strange, she said. Yeah, it is. Uh, She didn't know it at the time, but for months, vendors and customers have been quietly whispering about strange happenings at the two antique and unique stores Cheek and her business partners, Kim Eggers, run in Ozona and Palm Harbor in Tampa Bay, basically. Uh, Unplugged lamps flickered on. Spooked pets refused to enter. There was unexplained foot shuffling and crashing noises. Only customers who were alone... One customer who was alone when he felt a gentle tap on his shoulder quietly inquired if someone had died there. Uh, Store workers had tried to chalk it up to customers moving merchandise or pranks by co-workers, but then customers who had patronized or worked in the buildings, the two buildings when they were restaurants, started sharing tales of ghostly presences who had cleaned and neatly stacked china on the floor overnight when they were restaurants, ripped a pot from a wall hook, breaking a woman's collarbone, holy crap, sent salt and pepper shakers whizzing across the table and caused mail to seemingly grow legs and walk itself walk itself inside from the mailbox. The rumors were an open secret until last month when customer Cindy Foster approached the staff. Excuse me, this may sound weird, but has anybody ever reported paranormal experiences here? It turns out that she's an investigator and a, and a location scout with the Southern States Paranormal Research Group and, and felt, had felt a familiar tingle in her arms when she entered both and antiques and uniques store. Uh, to her, that's uh, the indication of paranormal activity. With old buildings and antiques, you're going to get some activity because it has so much history. When I came in here, I just felt a good. I felt a lot of good energy. Um, the Palm Harbor store at 530 Alt US 19 was built in the early 30s as a private residence before it was transformed into a tea house, then a salon. They affectionately call the ghost there Birdie or Birdie in honor of a woman they were told was the original owner. As for the Ozona store at 303 Orange Street North, some think the ghostly presence that seems to be occupy the older portion of that building is a fisherman who ran heart seafood out of what may have been doubled as his home. Over the years, workers believe the building has housed a bar, a day spa, and an internet eyeglass shipping company. That is cool. I love it when people that don't believe in ghosts see a lot of ghosts. Alrighty, up next we go to... Boy, I gotta start really cutting this up. Well, I'll, I'm gonna move on. Up next we go to the... I'm gonna get this so wrong and I apologize. The Suvarnabhumi Bumi Airport. It's the Bangkok International Airport that in Thailand. That's what I'm gonna call it. The Bangkok International Airport. It opened in 2006 when it replaced the old capital airport, the Don Muang Airport. However, the... Bangkok International Airport was built on marshland that was drained in order to make way for construction, and not only marshland, because they also used land that was an ancient cemetery. Yay! Poltergeist rules again, people. Not poltergeist rules. I mean, you know, the rules from poltergeist apply here. You know, don't build on... You know what I'm saying. Uh, Many Thai religious officials believe that the construction of the airport angered the spirits whose bodies were buried in the ancient cemetery beneath the airport, So before it opened, they did a nine-week exorcism rite. Much better than the nine-and-a-half weeks exorcism rite. The nine-and-a-half weeks one, sexy. Um, Anyhow, it involved 99 Buddhist monks. That's a lot of monks for a very long time. But it didn't seem to work because 
There are way too many ghost stories in this airport. Uh, everything from the basics to rando ghosts to wailing ghosts, but the most popular ghost is named Poo Ming. I'm not making that up. It's Poo Ming. Who monks said actually made themselves known during that exorcism rite? That's right. Po, Poo Wing made themselves known when they were doing that 99-week, or what was it ever? Nine-week, nine-and-a-half-week? Yeah, nine-week uh, exorcism rite. And it's said to have been seen all over the airport and even managed to enter a baggage porter's body and introduce himself as the caretaker of the ancient cemetery. Poo Ming is also known as the Blue Man because those who have claimed to have seen him said that uh, he walks with a cane and he's blue. Uh, Kurt here, I was really, really hoping for like a Blue Man group ghost story. Like he was doing like, you know, catching marshmallows and doing that weird pipe instrument. But now he's just blue walking with a cane. Then a grain of salt time. There's also one at this airport called the Haunted Honda. A deserted Honda has been left in the parking lot for years. Now covered in dust, the car remains unmoved and people offer flowers and other sacred items to the ghost driver. Rumor has it, the man who rented the car died in a crash and will not leave the Honda alone. Or someone just abandoned their Honda and you could have it towed at any time you want, airport. If that happened in L.A., it would have been towed in like the first 15 minutes. Get on it. Someone's got, someone can get a free Honda, basically. All right, the next two are straight up urban legend stuff, but it's Halloween, so let's do them. First up is called the Silver Pelin, the Silver Arrow subway train. It's in Stockholm, and the Stockholm subway, if you go there late at night, is said to have, have, to have a ghost subway train. It's said to travel the tracks, stopping at random stations at unpredictable times, hoping that people not paying attention will board this random subway train that only has one stop. What's that stop, Rum? I'm glad you asked. It's called Kimlinji, the subway station of the dead. Sorry, Swedish people. I know I got that wrong. Uh, those who end up there can lose weeks or years of their lives before emerging back into the world. If they're lucky... Some are never seen again, except I can't find anyone that's lost weeks or years. And no one that's gone missing is thought to have boarded the ghost subway train. So next is a ghost double-decker bus in London. Now, this is one um, you can't board, so don't try it. Don't try it, dudes. Uh, if you end up, it's basically, if you do try to board it, you end up in London's Kim Lynch. I don't know. No, this one comes barreling right towards you as you drive in London, down the middle of the street. All right, cue the urban legend. Um, one unfortunate driver in 1934 saw the phantom bus. He tried to swerve out of the way of the bus, but oversteered and slammed into a wall. Then several witnesses came forward during the investigation and testified. They saw the phantom bus barreling down the center of the road, too. The legend says that it happened between the 1930s in 1990. I'll get to that. Many people have reported narrowly avoiding a collision with the ghostly unmanned number seven bus driving in the center of St. Mark's Road. It always appears around Cambridge Gardens at 1.15 a.m., a time that no buses should be in the area. Hear that, buses? You stay out of Cambridge Gardens at 1.15 a.m. All right, so why did it stop appearing in 1990? Well, there might be a reason for that. Some people think it's because in May of 1990, 
a series of changes were made to the road, including widening, widening it, fixing it, and improving visibility by adding more street illumination, which some people think either is what the bus wanted, you know, to make the road safer, or the changes of the road broke the residual energy and the bus wasn't seen again. So, yeah. But I don't want to end. I don't want to end on urban legend. So let's do one more, okay? You guessed it. It's going to be an airport. Uh, it's Heathrow Airport, to be exact. That's right. London, England's Heathrow Airport. It doesn't just have one ghost. It has at least three. The first is a ghost that appeared following a crash in 1948 when there was a foggy night. This happened in March of 48. An incoming Douglas D-3 plane crashed at the airport when it was called London Airport. The plane caught fire as it hit the ground and tragically, 19 people were killed. The Western Morning News ran a story the following day which said 19 people burned to death when the Dakota nosedived, exploded, and burst into flames at London Airport last night. Some people were rescued, but screams were heard from the passengers as the flames took hold. The plane landed just 300 yards from the homes in nearby Bath Road right after this crash. Um, people started seeing stuff, basically. What did they see? Well, let me, let me tell you. First and foremost, they saw a man in a bowler hat and a dark suit. He was seen just asking people if they'd seen his briefcase. Like, have you seen my briefcase? Like that kind of stuff. Well, hello, have you seen my briefcase? That's with the accent. Uh, one of the eyewitnesses helped get people out of the wreckage. One of the, I'm sorry, one of the eyewitnesses who helped people get out of the wreckage swore when he saw the ghost, he's like, that was a guy that I saw dead in the fuselage. He said he recognized the man's face, the suit, and the bowler hat. Since that day, the same ghost has been seen on the airport's runways a number of times. In 1970, yeah, hold on. In 1970, the airport's radar office picked up a signal which looked like a person on the runway. Kurt here. I don't think that a radar in the airport tower can pick up people on the runway. And everything I found online makes it seem like this story is BS, but it's Halloween, so it stays in the episode. But again, I don't think that radar can pick up people on the runway. Uh, anyhow, uh, they send out emergency services when they spot this person on the runway on, on the radar. And of course, no one's there. Another ghost seen all the time at the Heathrow Airport is in the VIP lounge. There you go. If you take anything away from this episode, it's obviously the ghost fish jokes or maybe the spontaneous combustion jokes. But if take this away too. If you have to haunt an airport for eternity, for eternity, make sure you do it in the VIP section. It's the only way to do it. Another ghost is thought to be Highwayman Dick Turpin. I don't know. He's been spotted at the main terminal. All right, I looked it up for you. Dick Turpin was an 18th century English highwayman whose exploits were romanticized following his execution in York for horse theft. Sure, why not? Uh, apparently, he roams the grounds, or he roamed the grounds prior to being an airport, which is why people see him there. Um, because, you know, that timeline checks out. There were no airports in the 1700s. Just in case you were wondering... Hey, Kurt, how many airports were in the 1700s? The answer is zero. Uh, anyhow, travelers claim he often approaches from the back, leaving a feeling of hot breath on your neck. That's creepy. So 
he just walks up to people and, and then walks away. No, creepy ghost. But I'm not done yet because also seen at Heathrow is the ghost of a man barking or howling. But when people try to confront him, yeah, he disappears. So yeah, you know, uh, Heathrow, you've got the weirdest ghosts on here. You got highway highwayman Dick Turpin who's just going around breathing all creepily on the backs of people's necks. Come on, dude. Get a real hobby. And then you got the guy who's just like howling and barking and stuff. What the hell, Heathrow? What the absolute hell? Alrighty, so there you have it. That is your unusual haunted locations episode for Halloween. You guys have a happy Halloween. Go out and have fun. Trick or treat. If people won't give you candy, just go buy it. You're an adult. It's fine. Uh, But yeah, go have some fun. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Samick, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Ending a therapeutic off for them.